Thanks for joining us. Coming up on NTD Business. More names joining a growing list of companies laying off workers today as the firms try to right-size and prepare for a slowing economy. U.S. GDP growth slows down in the first quarter while inflation remains too high for the Fed. Are we seeing stagflation? Former Fox host Tucker Carlson breaking his silence after his sudden departure from the network. What did he say? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reacts to Disney's lawsuit against him. He says the company is simply upset because it has to live by the same rules as everybody else. A new documentary film looks into what's behind the max exodus from the Golden State. 700,000 people have moved out in the past two years. We talk with the film's producer. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. Wall Street rallied today as a strong quarterly report from Facebook parent Meta overshadowed concerns over slowing U.S. economic growth. Now, more on that in just a moment. The Dow added 524 points, or 1.6%. S&P gained 79 points, or 2%. And the Nasdaq rose 288 points, or 2.4%. More news of layoffs today from several big companies, including ride-sharing company Lyft, apparel retailer Gap, and tech firm Dropbox, together cutting thousands of jobs. Ride-hailing from Lyft says today it'll lay off over 1,000 employees, or over a quarter of its workforce. This is the second round of job cuts by Lyft, which faces competition from bigger rival Uber in a slowing economy. Apparel retailer Gap also announcing today it's going to cut about 1,800 jobs in a second round of layoffs as part of its efforts to save money. Already let go 500 corporate workers last September. And cloud storage provider Dropbox is also cutting down its workforce. The company's CEO says the economic downturn is putting pressure on customers, slowing down growth of its core cloud business. The U.S. economy is showing signs of slowing. U.S. GDP rose 1.1% for the first quarter. This was below estimates. But the good news is that the consumer is still resilient. Consumer spending accounts for a big portion of GDP. Inflation-adjusted spending rose at a 3.7% annual rate in the first quarter. This quarter's GDP was dragged down by a decrease in businesses not investing as much in inventory. Now, if inventories had stayed unchanged, annualized growth could have been over 3%, according to FX Street. Arguments can also be made for a stagflation in which the economy is slowing, but inflation remains elevated. Joining me is Jim Uriel, Managing Director at TJM Institutional Services. Now, GDP number today could be a sign of slower growth in the economy, but is this good news or bad news? Because we're in this situation where good news could be interpreted as bad news and bad news could be good news. So how are you looking at this? Well, when I first saw the number, it looked like bad news, bad news. One. The GDP number came out as 1.1, lower than expected, but also the prices paid component of it came in higher than expected, leading some to start talking about stagflation. I thought the stock market probably wouldn't like that very much. Obviously, I was wrong. The S&P is up now 70, uh, 70 points. So what, what the market must be telling us is that they believe those things can't coexist for very much longer. And the fact that the economy is clearly slowing down is going to be the overriding factor. Uh, the prices paid uh, component of it can't continue to come higher if we are slowing down again. But in the stock market, 
I think this is just sideways back and forth. I will not believe we're in a new bull market until we can settle the S&Ps above 42.50, which is still 100 ticks away to the upside, which is not that far away. I mean, considering we knocked off 70 of those points today. But until we can settle above there, I will just think this is just a sideways back and forth. Yeah, I think consumer spending is really what held up the, the data today. Um, do you think that's going to hold up in the next quarter? Well, okay, so so consumer spending, it's, it, there's two different facets of that. One, like I said before, the people with money still have money and are spending it. And two, that number is a bit obfuscated by the fact that prices are so much higher than they were in the past, and that's not accounted for in that number. So we look at it and say, oh, the consumer seems healthy. But then you think, wait, are they just on borrowed time now? When you look at the fact that credit card debt is at basically at an all-time high and the fact that it's costing much, much more to service that debt. So I think that is, it, it's, it's good and bad, but more bad than good the fact that consumer spending is high. Now, Jim, is there an argument to be made about a stagflationary environment right now? I think so, too. Like, if you look back to the 70s and you look at the fact that cost push inflation, which is similar to what we have now, was, was, was mostly because of input costs, i.e. energy. So I think that our energy policy currently is, is pushing energy prices higher. So if we start to recess and oil prices go higher, which they, they have been going higher, and I think they're going to go higher still, and the federal government still keeps doing things to pump money into the system that are very, very inflationary, like three different bills in the last year have been highly inflationary, including the Inflation Reduction Act, which is, a, which is an extremely, you know, obviously, ironically named, extremely inflationary bill. If they still keep doing dumb things and gas prices stay high, we could easily be in a situation of stagflation, and that's when I think things like gold and silver and Bitcoin will do quite well. Let me just ask you one more thing. Do you think we need to have negative GDP numbers for inflation to come down? Well, I think that Jay Powell believes that, and that's what's more important. I think he, he is actually angling, angling us toward a recession, and he believes that's the way to curtail demand to get rid of inflation. I don't agree. I think the Fed has raised rates enough already. I think we're beyond a neutral rate. The rate, their policy is a very blunt instrument whose efficacy isn't felt for many, many months. I think that if the, he just left things the way they are now, we probably would get to that negative GDP growth, the recession. Um, and I, I just think um, they are overdoing it and they will soon have to reverse. What do you think uh, is needed then, in, in your opinion, to bring down inflation without uh, bring the economy down? Okay, so I think that nothing needs to be done to solve this inflation right now because this inflation was caused by supply chain problems, government injecting money, um, and you know increasing money supply like we'd never done before. But remember, some of the cures are already there. High prices are a cure for high prices. People will start to substitute and buy different things. The supply chain has healed somewhat. The government has stopped directly giving money to the consumer. They, they do in some respect. They've slowed down, let's say. I think inflation is starting to take care of itself right now. The only thing I worry about is the energy component of it. All right. Thank you so much today, Jim. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Have a great day. Tucker Carlson breaks his silence after his sudden split from Fox News. He delivered a monologue from his Twitter account last night. And he talked about his observations after a few days off the air. He says, most of the debate people see on television are, quote, unbelievably stupid. And meanwhile, important topics aren't being talked about. The undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. 
When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? Carlson says meaningful debate is not permitted in American media, and he accuses political parties and their donors of colluding to shut down conversations. He ended his monologue by asking, where can you still find Americans saying true things? Earlier this week, Elon Musk suggested Twitter as a new platform for Carlson. Musk said Twitter's subscription service allows content creators to prosper while not applying censorship that goes beyond the law. Fox News ratings plummeted this week in Tucker Carlson's former time slot. According to Nielsen, Carlson used to generate over 3 million viewers per night. But in the 8 p.m. hour on Monday, the new Fox News Tonight drew 2.6 million viewers, 20% less than before. Tuesday's ratings came in even lower at half the original figure. Meanwhile, Fox Corp shares have tumbled over 2% since news broke of Carlson's departure. A national nonprofit legal organization has filed a civil rights complaint against candy giant Mars. America First Legal is asking the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to investigate Mars. The law firm has raised concerns over the company's hiring, training, and promotion practices. AFL argues that they violate Civil Rights Act of 1964, which makes it illegal for employers to impose hiring quotas that favor applicants based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. AFL argues that Mars discriminates against potential and current employees based on race and sex. The nonprofit cites the company's own racial quota goals as evidence. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis speaking out on Disney's lawsuit against him. He described it as a political move that lacks merit. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. The lawsuit by Disney is the latest move in a long-running dispute. The conflict centers around DeSantis's efforts to revoke the company's special legal and economic privileges. Giving companies their own governments? That is not what a free market is all about, last I checked. The company had near-total operational autonomy in the district where Disney World is located. DeSantis says companies like Universal and SeaWorld have been treated much differently. And so they're upset because they're actually having to live by the same rules as everybody else. The Florida governor says they don't want to pay the same taxes or have proper oversight. But DeSantis says every other Floridian is subject to that type of oversight. Disney sued DeSantis on April 26th. It accuses his administration of, quote, weaponizing its power to inflict political punishment on the company. Disney says that is due to its opposition to the Florida governor's parental rights and education legislation. The law banned instruction of gender identity and sexual orientation in public schools for kindergarten through third grade. And I will say a lot of Floridians were upset, particularly parents, uh, that they really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. The day DeSantis signed the bill, Disney issued a statement saying it was the company's objective to have it repealed. Disney says DeSantis is using the state government to punish a company for voicing an opinion that should be protected by free speech rights. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A new documentary out on Epoch TV about people leaving California. The documentary portrays the growing challenges of living in the state. Siamak Kurami, television host of California Insider and the editor of the Epoch Times Southern California, takes viewers on a journey of love, loss, tragedy, and hope in the documentary, which is called Leaving California, The Untold Story. And joining me live now is Siamak himself. First of all, thank you so much for coming on today, sir. 
Thank you for having me, Don. Now, I was watching the documentary, and I have to say I enjoyed it very much. The very first thing that you highlighted in this film is the crime in the state. Maybe we'll just start just right there. Why is there so much crime, and what's the core issue that's causing it? You know, what we've done in California is uh, essentially we have legalized theft. Under a certain threshold, people can go into a store and steal less than $950 at a time, and there is no punishment for them. So people can keep going back to the same store and stealing and stealing and stealing and get away with it. And if they get caught, they just get a ticket. So this is happening across the state. And uh, what we have done is we have taken an approach that is more soft on crime. We don't want to punish the criminals. So the state is continuously passing laws and to, to make it softer and easier for people to, to not get penalized. And what we found during the process in this documentary that the criminal justice system is broken in the state. And as an impact, it has an impact on business, small businesses. So we had some business owners that were leaving because people broke into their business time after time and after time. So they would get tired of dealing with it. And in some cases, the damages were a lot more to their store than, than what people would take from the stores. So you say the justice system may be broken, and I think the criminals may also know this. So I wonder, how is this impacting businesses in the state? So we, we talked to some experts, and uh, a few universities in California have done, have done surveys. And, and there's other laws that are causing businesses to leave, too. But uh, among these surveys, there's one that they surveyed 150 CEOs. Um, in California, and, and they surveyed how's the prospect of doing business in California, and half of them said they're planning to leave the state. And um, so, so a lot of jobs as a result of it would be moving out of the, the state. So, so some of these businesses are moving because of crime, and, but some other ones are moving because of different regulations. And some people are giving up on having businesses. We, we've talked to some business, business owners that, that just want to give up on, on having these shops or stores. Now, these regulations, are they making it so that businesses are no longer economically viable? So along the way in this documentary, we met some uh, people that have small businesses that actually got sued. You know, in California, there are some laws that for an employee can go to any lawyer and the lawyer can become the attorney general of act as an attorney general of the state and come and audit the company. And for a typo in a paycheck, it could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So if you made a mistake on a paycheck of an employee, you end up paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, a penalty. And so some of these businesses look at these laws and regulations, and once they get hit by these lawsuits, they start thinking, should we stay in California or should we move out? And in this documentary, what we did is we went in deeper, a few layers deeper to understand why is that? Why are these laws there? And what is the common ground in all of this? And um, by people seeing this documentary, it actually could help the leaders of the state and, and the residents of the state to wake up and actually look and see why we are having these problems. Right. And I, of course, I don't want you to spoil too much about what's in the documentary. We want people to watch it for themselves. But you talked to a number of people uh, in this documentary. You know, I'm curious, what was the one comment that really stuck with you? 
You know, I had Dr. Dodi. I was interviewing Dr. Dodi, who's a professor at Chapman, and and he he told me the biggest loss is the loss of human capital. And when I thought about it, I was like, okay, you know what? We're California. We're the most innovative state. You may disagree with me, but I I think we're the most innovative state in the country. And and uh, losing these innovators could be what what is it going to look like ten years from now, five years from now, when these guys are gone? So this was a big quote that stuck with me. All right. Thank you so much today for coming on. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. The film runs for 70 minutes. You can watch it at leavingcamovie.com. Meta is once again becoming the cool kid on Wall Street. Find out why. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Meta Platforms is a Wall Street darling again. The company's shares continue their winning streak today, surging nearly 14% after Meta focused on AI and cost-cutting. And T.D. Marshall has more. Facebook parent company Meta is winning the favor of Wall Street with artificial intelligence innovation. At the time of this report, the company is set to add over $75 billion to its market value, and it's on track to replace NVIDIA as the best-performing S&P 500 stock. People make jokes about Meta failing with the metaverse, but Zuckerberg doesn't seem to be done with it. I've emphasized for a number of these calls now that there are two major technological waves driving our roadmap, a huge AI wave today and a building metaverse wave for the future. Meta saw its first increase in sales in nearly a year due to continued improvements in its advertising business. Some of those gains were due to Facebook Reels, the company's short-form video tool. I expect us to focus on improving our distributed work model, delivering AI tools to improve productivity, and removing unnecessary processes across the company. Zuckerberg also said the company, which has carried out several expensive overhauls to bolster its core business, was no longer behind in building out its AI infrastructure. He also said the tech was helping to boost traffic to Facebook and Instagram and earn more in ad sales, showing that Meta is focused not on selling AI products, but on implementing AI into the company. Meta has been making its AI innovations open source to the public. Sean Marshall, NTD News. So with artificial intelligence developing at lightning speed, fake images and videos have become a very big concern. People can create fake images of presidents, CEOs, or even members of your own family. Now think about that for just a moment. They're going to look so realistic, you can't even tell they're fake. So naturally, the question is, what can we do? Are there programs out there that can help us discern this? We talk with Deep Media, a firm that detects AI-created images and videos. Deep Media CEO Rajul Gupta tells us that right now, there are certain things we can look for to see if something is fake. As an example, he brought up the so-called dope pope image, which depicted the pope wearing a fancy puffy jacket. Oftentimes, a lot of these networks have trouble with the combination and intersection of straight lines and curved lines. And so because the Pope was wearing a puffy jacket, but on top of that jacket was a chain with a cross on it, 
If you look very closely, you'll see that the cross on that chain um, had a little bit of warping on the lines that should have been very straight. If you try and look at people's fingers or hands, you might often see in some of these images that they are um, including an extra finger in a hand, right? Or that the fingers are slightly warped. But the thing is, the technology is developing very quickly. Very soon, AI may be able to figure out how to properly draw hands. And people won't be able to use that as a visual indi indicator. Gupta's firm Deep Media has technology that will try to spot what's fake and what's not when humans won't be able to. The United States Department of Defense is currently using his firm to identify AI-generated content. We let consumers uh, use synthetic media to generate fake faces and voices of themselves speaking 50 different languages. And the data sets that we gather from those applications, these fake faces and voices, are fed directly into a detection platform, which can't effectively detect whether a face, voice, or image is real or it has been manipulated. And something else that may happen in the future is that regulators and internet platforms may get involved. We talked with AI researcher Alex DeRitter, who co-founded AI marketing firm Inc. The writer says generative AI firms have a way of watermarking their AI-generated media. Watermarking is the process of adding a visible or invisible mark to a piece of content. Special software can then be used to see the mark, which will tell us the image is AI-generated and not real. Perhaps this is an area for regulators as well to come in and say, you know, anything that is AI-generated by law has to create has to contain some kind of a digital signature uh, in the form of watermark or, or or blockchain signing that can trace it back to the creator in some way uh, or somehow identifies that maybe that's a step too far maybe that identifies it as ai generated if you want to be anonymous the Ritter also suggests that internet platforms like youtube or instagram may look for these marks and they can tell you if this piece of content is watermarked or not. But at the end of the day, there may not be a completely foolproof way to tell if something is real. And DeRitter says that bad actors will still be out there trying to trick you. Even though they can have the best technology in place, it never replaces your personal duty of just double checking and having good common sense online. So stay safe out there. And experts agree on this. We talked with an AI art generating company, Blue Willow AI. Blue Willow's VP of marketing, Hector Ferran, told us there is no magic bullet, especially with AI advancing at the speed of a bullet. Trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Dive deeper. And then use your checklist right here. Look at your lighting. Look at your person. Look at the people. Look at the construction of it. Go from there. Do your reverse Google image search. Currently, there are no strong AI detecting tools out there for everyday people to use. The CEO of Deep Media, Rijul Gupta, told us he's releasing his AI detection software in late May. The general public will be able to use it for free. Moving on. The American Heart Association rated the DASH diet as the best for heart health. What is it exactly? We'll have that story coming up in just a couple minutes.
Welcome back. The American Heart Association has named the DASH diet as the best for heart health. DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It aligned 100% with the AHA's goals for heart-healthy eating. The pescatarian diet, which allows for dairy, eggs, fish, and other seafood, came in second with 92%. And the award-winning Mediterranean diet aligned 89%. It came in third mostly because it recommends a small glass of red wine each day and doesn't limit salt. Meanwhile, very low-carb diets and keto diets were in the bottom tier for heart-healthy eating patterns because they emphasized red meat, saturated fats, and limit fruit and vegetable intake. The American Heart Association made the rankings to help doctors get up to speed with nutrition. And that's it today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. We see you tomorrow.